God's word is our life. We have to have, while we're in the desert, the life-giving, living word of God. Now, because it's alive, it also has the power to do things. It has the power to accomplish things. So number three, the word of God is effective. The word of God is effective. Notice the text again. For the word of God is living and active, where we get our word energy, activity, production, accomplishment, doing things. Now, who in here would consider yourself a quiet person? I'm, I'm very quiet nature, just that's how I grew up. I had two older brothers, they did my talking for me, kind of like Aaron did for Moses. Um, but yeah, so maybe if you're quiet, maybe you understand what I'm about to say. Say you're in a group of people, maybe at a birthday party or whatever, and you say something. And you look around the room, and no one looks at you, no one turns their head. It's like, well, did they hear what I said? And you're like, maybe, or maybe they did hear what I said. But they just didn't want to respond to it. So if I say it again, that could be embarrassing. And you get stuck, right? So in other words, where did your words go? Fell right to the ground. Didn't accomplish a single thing. Now, quiet people have that problem, but God's word does not have that problem. It has never had that problem. That's why God can say in Isaiah 55, So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. God's word goes out. He says, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God might have a billion different reasons for sending out his word, and every single one of those reasons is going to be accomplished. Might not be what they expect, might not do exactly what we want, but it's going to do exactly what he wanted it to do. That's what his word does. It is effective. The prophet Jeremiah, God's word is likened to a fire. And the people are likened to wood and sticks and hay, and the word of God goes and consumes all the people. It's like a fire. Jeremiah also likens the word of God to a hammer that shatters a rock. God's word is effective. It accomplishes exactly what God wants it to accomplish. So maybe you've given the gospel to an unbelieving friend or a co-worker or family member, but they won't listen. Maybe you've done it twice. Maybe you've done it three times. Or maybe you've tried reading the Word. You, get, you go to Grace Bible, and the people say, Hey, are you in the Word? Are you reading the Word? You're like, oh, Not really, but I'll try it. And then you try it the next week, and oh, it's just not really doing anything. It's not really accomplishing anything. But what God promises us in His Word is that it is doing something. It's not always on our timetable. It's not always the result that we think is going to happen, but it is accomplishing exactly what God wants it to accomplish in every single situation. It is effective. And the fourth reason why we need the Word of God is because the Word of God is piercing. Not piercing loud, but in the sense of piercing our souls. See it in verse 12. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. Now, when the verse says it's a two-edged sword, it's most likely referring to this sword you see on the screen. This was a Roman gladius sword. This is what the Roman soldiers uh, would have carried around. It was a great sword for what they had to do, great for close-range combat. It was designed to hold a very sharp edge. You could slash it both ways. 
Uh, there's times whenever they needed to slash and cut people's feet from underneath their shields. It was a very effective weapon, this gladius sword. But look at the text again. The point is not for you to be excited about how sharp the gladius sword is. Because look at what it says about the Word of God. The Word of God, God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is sharper than the sharpest. God's Word can do what no sword or knife or any weapon could ever do. It's in a class of its own. It cuts things that nothing else could cut. It reaches places where nothing else can reach. It makes cuts at the deepest level. The Word of God pierces, look at the text, as far as the division of soul and spirit. You say, what's the difference between soul and spirit? Exactly. They are essentially the same thing. The point is, God's Word gets in there and divides the indivisible. It can do anything it wants to do. It can reach the most intricate areas. So the next big question is, what does the Word of God do once it's there? Maybe you've been pierced by the Word already. Maybe you've been pierced by the Word of God this past week. It's there. It's sticking inside of your soul. What is it going to do once it gets there? So look at number five. The Word of God is discerning. It is discerning. Here's the process. We're exposed to the Word. It pierces our soul. It makes cuts in our soul in areas that we didn't even know existed. And it makes exact cuts. Not too far to the right, not too far to the left, not too far up, not too far down. At just the right place, at just the right time, it sticks right where it needs to go. The scalpel of the Word has made its cuts. Now what does it do next? What does the Word of God do next? The text says it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's able to discern those thoughts, able to make exact judgments about those intentions that we have, the ideas in our head that no one else will ever know about, maybe things that we don't even fully understand ourselves, hidden depravity, deep depravity, our thinking processes, our motives, the secrets that no one else may ever know, secrets tucked away deeply. God sees all those and it discerns all of those things. God's scalpel finds our sin. It's been, we're exposed and he finds our sin crawling around like maggots, feasting on our souls. He finds our cherished sins that we don't want to repent of. He finds our pride. He finds our lust. He finds our greed. He finds our adultery. He finds our bitterness. He finds our depravity, our unbelief. And he gets it right every single time. He gets it right every single time he pierces us. He knows exactly what is going on in our souls. He's never operated on the wrong patient. He has never misunderstood our souls. He's never misdiagnosed us, not once. It's perfect every single time. He's never convicted us of pride unless it was pride. He's never convicted us of lust unless it was lust. He has never convicted us of jealousy unless it was indeed jealousy. So when we take time in the Word, there are really two things that are happening. We are reading the Word. We're looking at its pages. We're going down through the sentences. 
But at the same time, it is reading us back. God's Word reads us. Some books will make you laugh. Some books will make you cry. Some books you'll resonate with and say, I really like that book. But there's only one book that can truly reveal precisely what is in your hearts. First Chronicles 28 says that the Lord searches all hearts. God's eyes scanning through his word. Every single person in the room He's searching every single heart. And he understands every intent of the thought. He knows it all. And this book that we hold in our hands, it knows human nature better than we ever will. And it knows our own individual hearts better than we ever will. God's Word knows us better than we know ourselves. Jeremiah says that the heart is desperately sick. And who can understand it? We ourselves cannot fully understand how sick and depraved our hearts are. The Psalms say that the inward thought and heart of a man are deep. But God knows it. The book of Amos says that God declares to man what are his thoughts. You say, what are my thoughts, Lord? He tells us. He knows exactly what they are. First Thessalonians says that God is the one who examines our heart. So what do we do with all this? I could give you a list. I could give you a list of uh, things you could do this week to make uh, you seem like a more spiritually fit Christian. And actually, I've been in church long enough, I could guarantee if you do a few things... Uh, you could uh, maybe volunteer for certain things. Uh, you could go sign up for the evangelism group. Uh, you could tell people around the church, hey, I'm praying for you. Or say, man, I read this great verse. You could say all those things. And I guarantee that people in the church will say, wow, you're looking spiritually uh, toned. You've been working out in the spiritual disciplines. I could guarantee that that could happen for you for a while. I could guarantee that. But what's the problem with that? Nothing has happened where change actually must happen, where true change can happen. And that is where? In the heart. In the soul of men and women. The heart is where the word of God takes its true effect. When Paul started to preach to Lydia in Acts chapter 16, what does the text say about that message? It says the Lord opened up her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. The Lord opens her heart. The Lord is the only one who can open up our hearts. When Peter preached to the people at Pentecost. They were, conv- they were convicted. They were pierced to the heart. That's where God's word does its work. There is a man in history named John Thorpe. I don't think any of you have ever heard of him, but I bet you have heard of an old preacher named George Whitfield. True? George Whitfield. Now, George Whitfield was an old famous preacher, and uh, there was a group of people who would like to make fun of George Whitfield. And they would call themselves the Hellfire Club. And they would uh, go to bars and things like that, and they would kind of goof around. And they would actually take turns mocking George Whitfield. They would even get a Bible and uh, read a text and try to mock uh, George Whitfield's mannerisms and his peculiarities of speech and things like that. They'd make fun of him. Well, one time, one of these pubs, John Thorpe, it was his turn to make fun of George Whitfield. And someone gives him a Bible. Back then they had uh, Bibles in, in pubs, I suppose. Um, but it just so happened how, how it happened, I don't know. But he turned to the Gospel of Luke. And he read this verse. Intending to make a great show. Intending to make all his buddies laugh. He reads these words. 
unless you repent, you will all likewise perish, period. You know what the Lord did? The Lord saved John Thorpe right then and there. He was pierced to the heart by the word of God. That's where God's word does its work. It does its work in our souls. It does its work in our hearts. So why try to change stuff on the outside whenever it has to happen on the inside? It has to start at the foundational level of the heart. The word of God is the only thing that can perform a successful operation on our souls. You can't get this surgery unless you're putting yourself under the word of God on a regular basis. Like Omar said in his prayer, we want to be pierced regularly. And we cannot progress in the Christian life unless we undergo the knife of God's word. We must have the word for perseverance. Let's look at number six. I told you these things get more specific as they go. They get more and more personal as they go. Number six, the word of God is inescapable. It is inescapable. Ever since... Genesis chapter 3, since the very beginning of the Bible, man has been on a mission to hide from God. We are born running away from God. We come into this world trying to play hide and seek with God, but we never win. You could spend your whole life rejecting the word of God. And many people pass on into hell spending their whole lives rejecting, refusing, ignoring the word of God, that happens. But the point is, eventually, it will find you out. We are all accountable to our creator. Those who accept the word, those who reject the word, we are on a level playing field. We are all accountable to this word, and it is inescapable. We cannot run from it. Look at verse 13. And there is no creature... Hidden from his sight. No creature can hide. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. To whom we must give an account. We must give a reckoning to God. All things are open. All things are laid bare. Think about that word open. That word in Greek originally meant to train in the nude. From the old uh, games back in ancient Greece and Rome. It means naked. Naked. Look at that word laid bare. Very interesting word. It's where we get the word trachea from. So what does that have to do with being laid bare? Well, originally, this word meant to pull back the head, expose the throat for slaughter, expose the throat for the knife, for a sacrifice. We are open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That is our true condition before God. We are born into this condition. We make this condition our choice as we continually reject and rebel against the Lord. We are naked naked and helpless and fit for slaughter. So what do we try to do once we see that? Okay, if you're right, if everything you're saying is true, I'm going to make some changes. I'm going to do some things differently. So maybe we say, I know God knows about my sin now, if you're you're right. But everyone's told me, as I've heard about the Bible, everyone said he's a God of love, right? So maybe he'll just overlook my sin. Yeah, he sees it, but he's going to just pretend like it's not there. Is that what God's going to do with your sin? No. He never has overlooked a sin 
for all of human history. That's not what forgiveness means. Or I think this passage might be for the person next to me. No, again, this verse levels the playing field. No creature, no person is hidden from God's sight. Or maybe you could say, I'll do better tomorrow. If God sees me that I'm this sinful, I'm going to do better tomorrow. Is that going to work? I promise you, it will not work. None of those things will work. We've been pierced by the word. We've been exposed for who we really are. All we deserve is death. And if God wanted, at any moment, while that sword is sticking inside of our soul, he could twist it and destroy us for all of eternity. He could do that by his sovereign will, by his choice. He has the right to do that. And we would deserve that. So what do you do? There's one final reason I need to share with you. One final reason why we have to have the Word of God. Why it is absolutely essential for life that is pleasing to God. And that is number seven. The Word shows us Christ. The Word shows us Christ. The Word of God shows us what Christ has done, who He is. Now, if you look at verse 13, does the chapter end right there? Does the chapter end at verse 13? There's something else. There's something else in the text. And what's the next word that you see? Therefore. Therefore. You could not go home with any hope without this word, therefore. And why is that? Because this Word of God shows us Christ. It's brought us to the end of ourselves and shows us who Christ truly is. Verse 14, therefore, since we have, who do we have? A great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He has made payment for sins. He has forgiven us. He has passed through the heavens and he is ruling at the right hand of the throne of God right now. And this is Jesus the Son of God. Because we have this, let us hold fast. Without the Word of God operating in our souls like this, we would not be brought to the end of ourselves and we would not go to Christ to to hold fast to Him and to Him alone. We need the Word of God to point us to Christ. Now look, it says more about who Christ is. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows exactly what It means to be hungry. He knows exactly what it means to be mistreated. He knows exactly what it means to be misunderstood, to be weak, to be tempted. He has done all those things that we have been through except one difference. He did all of it without sin. He did all of it perfectly obedient to the word of the Father. And he knows them all better than we ever will. So what does the text say? Verse 16, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. We've been exposed. We've heard bad news about our souls. Our sin is out there. It's open and laid bare before God's eyes and we cannot run from it. Eventually, it will catch up with us. But now we're seeing that because of what Christ has done, we can approach God the Father not on our own merits, but on the merit of Jesus Christ, his perfect righteousness that he is willing to put into our account if we put 
our faith and trust in Him alone. And now there's a throne of grace. God knows us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our sin. But we go to Him for grace because He has satisfied His own wrath, the punishment we deserve for us in Christ Jesus. All that wrath that we deserved has been unleashed on to Christ. And so if you have never gone to Christ, if you don't know that He's your great sympathizer, if you do not know that He understands everything you've been through, but that He succeeded while we failed, and because of that we can go to Him on the merits of what He has done and be right with God, be forgiven by God, our sin paid for by Christ. Do that today. So if you've been ignoring the Word of God, if you've been wrestling with getting back into the Word of God, start seeking it today. Perseverance is impossible without the Word. Or if you've been dabbling in the Word, start submitting to it today. And this can be a painful process. A painful process, but the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. As we submit to the Word, we are constantly going through a tearing down process and a rebuilding process. God, as we are exposed to the Word, He's deconstructing us, taking those areas out of our life that we've been building our life on, taking the pride out, taking the greed out, taking the bitterness out, and He is rebuilding us and shaping us into the image of Christ. And we can't get this without the Word of God. This is how God has told us He works This is how He grows us. This is how He works on us. We have to start submitting to this today. God is pleased to show us our sinful hearts so that we can see how deeply He loves us in Christ Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we look at Your Word and we look at ourselves and we see those areas that your word has pierced and exposed. And I do pray, if we have taken that lightly, I pray that now, as we pray, that you would answer this prayer and you would help us to see our sin for what it truly is and for what it truly does, how it ruins our relationship with you, how it casts us into hell. And I do pray, Lord, that you would help us to run to Christ because we do have a throne of grace because of what he's done. We can approach you now. We don't have to be afraid of you because of what Christ has done for us. Lord, I do pray that you would work in our hearts, help us to love you, help us to submit to your word, help us to seek your word, help us to have ears to hear. We do pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.